that song really reminds us of God's unchanging nature and His character and his, how predictable God is. And you know, us as people, we're um, far we're not predictable. You know what I mean? We change. Wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and uh, might get a different individual. And so, when we sing about the God the Father who is unchanging. You know, this is what James 1 says. James 1, 17. Actually, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadow. So good to know that God doesn't change. He doesn't change in the way he, he relates to us, in the way he treats and, and loves us. He doesn't. His word does not change. Um, that's a source of comfort. And so, it's good to see all of you here. Um, we're obviously in the new year. I've got a problem with my screen up here. There's nothing showing. And so, um, we we got back from Northern California, and I realized there was a bunch of projects I needed to do around the house. And I don't know if you felt the same way, but starting a new year, there's like, i got to get started. And so... Um, I realized there was car to be fixed, uh, little minor issues with that. There was uh, issues on paint and just unfinished projects around the house. And it was like, uh, where am I going to start? And I looked at my car and I realized that my car, you know, needs light bulbs in the back. It needs tires inflated. I need, I've been carrying it around rear blade, rear brakes in the back of my car for a while, and so um, I should have changed them like six months ago. Thankfully, I think you stop with your front brakes for the most part, I hear, and so, um, but I'm going to change those, and so, but as I was looking at my car and all the things, kind of like I tackled one project at a time, so when I came to the car, I was looking at all the things that needed to be done in it, and looked down the street, and I could see all these nice, shiny cars. And I'm just, now, I love my car. My car has 245,000 miles. And after you've been with someone for that long, (laughs) it's been a champ, you know. And we bought it three years into our marriage. We're in our 15th year. And so it's been through some tough times. But still, you know, these Civics just keep on trucking. And so, or not trucking, carring, whatever you'd say for that. But I love my car. But when I get into comparison, all of a sudden my car, it just seems old and, and frail. And, and, and all I can see is the flaws if I start comparing it to others. What's even tougher is when I look at what the teenagers on my block are driving. And I'm like, how, how come they get to drive that? You know, it's just difficult. And, and you know, I don't know about you. But comparison for me, it just it keeps dragging me down. Anytime I get into it, it sets me up for discouragement. As I try to keep up with others or I try to imitate other people, the fact is there's always opportunities to compare ourselves to others every day. And so as we're starting a new year, we're tempted to compare. We're tempted to plan our future based on what we see other people doing. And it's dangerous. We're tempted to compare our cars, our kitchens, our floors, our tools. You've got a more powerful tool. That's got more 
whatever, more, more torque, more amps. I don't even know how that works, but he's got more. He's got, you know, or they've got a nicer stroller with more gizmos. Strollers are a big deal these days, you know, and, and clothes, vacations, and on and on and on. We want to be happy for other people. Like, I want to be happy that you got something new. I really do. I want to rejoice with you when good happens. But somehow comparison creeps in and drags me in the wrong direction. Doesn't it do that? It just takes us down the wrong road. And it can get even more personal. We're tempted to compare our appearance. Not just stuff, but we're tempted to compare who we are to other people. Uh, I've got a video clip of a bunch of guys, a bunch of new dads. This is from the movie um, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And these dads are getting into envy. And they're envying this younger, stronger, single guy who's running laps around the park. And they're, they got baby strollers and babies hanging off of them and bottles and everything. And they're, they're envying this guy. And so I want you to see uh, this video clip. Davis. <laughs> Davis. 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 Yeah. what is up? So, fellas, kids, Jordan. Yeah, this kid's like Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. <laughs> I wish he was that well-behaved. He's more like Mickey Rourke in real life. <laughs> so tall. Been working out? Oh, yeah. I missed out on high fives before. I'll take one if you had a spare. I got you, Craig. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Davis. All right, I'm out of here. Nice job, Craig. <laughs> Way to go, Craig. Uh, doesn't that just take you right back to high school? Yeah. Comparing our appearances or comparing our accomplishments. Your friend gets a better job or gets another degree. And, and we were once grateful for the things that we had or the degree that we had or the job that we have. But now all of a sudden, that's old news. It can even be a source of discontentment. Um, job status is something that that fuels envy and and comparison got another video clip here i've shown this before but i love this scene um this is will smith he's in the movie the pursuit of happiness and he he begins to just compare himself to people and he he makes a assumption about everyone that he's looking at coming out of this building he's he's seeing a bunch of stockbrokers come out of a building on wall street and so but listen to what he says two questions for you. What do you do and how do you do it? <laughs> I'm a stockbroker. Stockbroker. Oh. Had to go to college to be a stockbroker, huh? You don't have to. Had to be good with numbers and good with people. That's it. Hey, you take care. Hey, I'm going to let you hang on to my car for the weekend, but I need it back for Monday. Feed the meter. Still remember that moment. They all look so happy to me.
why couldn't I look like that? Now, he makes this, this huge assumption. And the assumption is that everybody is happy. They look happy, so they must be happy. Why, why can't I be like that? So often comparison is just about the exterior. And it's about the here and now. We look at someone's life in the present and the here and now, and we begin to compare. We get ourselves into real, um, into real trouble. The problem is that whenever we get into comparison, we don't, know, we don't know how they got there. We don't know the story behind the person we're looking at. Also, we don't know where they're going to end up. We just see they're, they're somewhere in the middle of their story, and their story is still being written. We don't see where they're going. And think of how dangerous and how much regret you could experience if in 10 years, 20, 30, even 40 years, if you look back on your life and you realize, I was imitating the wrong people. I was comparing myself to the wrong group of people. Our choice to compare, it leads us down the wrong path. If you'd like, you can follow along. We're going to look at a few verses here. Comparison, it can be a problem. It can be a problem among friends. It can be a problem that... provide problems at work, even in church life. You would think, oh, I wouldn't compare at church. <laughs> yeah, right. It's easy. It's easy to compare at church. It's easy to just get close to people and then begin to compare ourselves to their lives. And again, we're just looking at something in the middle. It's not the end of the story, and so you don't really know. Paul addressed this issue in both First and Second Corinthians. Look at Second Corinthians first. It says, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verse 12. He's, he's talking about a group of apostles, but the, he, he calls them false apostles. They had a mixed motive in what they were doing. He says about them, he says, we, speaking of himself and some of his partners in ministry, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. So he's like, I'm not trying to keep up with these people who are trying to commend themselves. Whenever they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. So there was this group of people that were, they were using human standards, really the wrong standards, to evaluate one another. And the truth is, whenever we measure ourselves up to other people, we quickly move off track. We get headed in the wrong direction. So Paul just says, don't, don't do that. Don't get into comparison. In 1 Corinthians, he actually speaks about how our close and consistent associations can really bring real damage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. This is, he says that first because we can be. And you don't know when you are. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If I get into imitating the wrong group of people, I'm opening myself up to problems. If I start imitating an unhealthy group, the wrong stuff gets drawn out of me. Have you ever been in a group and you've done something in a group that you never would have done by yourself? But because of the group that was there, all of a sudden, maybe because of a desire to impress, but you just get sucked in on on a certain level, and all of a sudden you're in a group and you're doing things and you're saying things, and then you leave and you look back and you say, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Why did I do that? It's because the people that we do life with, they draw stuff out of us. They draw good stuff out of us if those people are referenced to the right things. And they can draw the wrong stuff out if their reference, if their life is referenced to what the world values. And so, thankfully, God in His Word, He guides us around this whole area of comparison. This is a dangerous area. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Bruce began looking at this passage last week. 
And he looked at verses 5 and 6. Here's the verses he looked at. It says, keep your lives, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? He looked at this issue of contentment. And here's how you do it. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews, he says, God has given you exactly what you need. And so we can trust him. We can trust that he'll take care of us. Verses 5 and 6 here in Hebrews 13, they tell us, look back in order to be reminded of God's faithfulness. The reason we look back is to, to trace God's hand of faithfulness. To, to trace and kind of connect the dots of, wow, look at all the ways I've seen God come through in my life. When we look back, this is what Hebrews 13 is saying in these two verses. And the next two verses really tell us how to look forward. Look at the next two. And this is extremely important. These verses are critical because at New Year's we're tempted to to make lofty resolutions and to set ambitious goals. And it's not a bad thing to do that. But the problem is that we're tempted to let comparison drive our New Year's resolutions. We're tempted to let envy of others drive the things that we set out to do. Um, we can get our goals and ideas from so many places, but Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8 really does help. So let's take a look at these verses. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders. Okay? Remember your leaders. That's like, call to your mind your leaders. Those, those are the people who've gone before you. Those are the ones that may even be gone completely. They may not be living anymore. But remember your leaders, he says, who spoke the word of God to you. Not just any leader, but he's saying, call to your mind the leaders who, who pointed you to the word of God. They shared with you the Word of God. They referenced things back to the Word of God. Then he says, consider, that word means look carefully at or reflect upon. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the word outcome there, it actually means end. Consider the end. Consider the outcome of their way of doing life. And then he says, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, a couple of things we, we need. We need to imitate, number one, our leaders, as he says. We need to imitate our leaders. Verse 7 says, we need to remember constantly the people who've had a positive spiritual influence in our lives. Not just any leader, but the ones who, again, they spoke the word of God to us. Not just those with strong opinions, but those who have the right spiritual reference point. And he's not just saying just teachers. There might be many people that, that are your leaders in your life, people that have spoken the word of God, that have invested in your life and pointed you back to God and shared what God has to say with you. Um, they may not be people that are in ministry. They may, they may be people that are doing, um, it might be your, a good friend of yours who's in business or a teacher or a close friend, but there are leaders in your life who you look at their life and you can begin to see the outcomes. You can begin to see long-term fruit of the way that they've done their life. And now we do need to follow all of our leaders. So you have leaders that are in authority over you. You have bosses. We have others that are in authority over our lives. We need to follow them. But he's saying here that 
we model our lives after people who are speaking the Word of God, speaking truth about what God has to say. And they live their lives based on God's Word. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He says, follow my example. This is a pretty bold statement. Follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. This is bold because Paul was not a perfect man. You know, he wasn't, he was a good man, he was a godly man, but he was not a perfect man. And so um, he didn't set a perfect example by his life. He, he, he's the guy that had battles with discouragement. If you read through his letters, you can see he battled with discouragement, with fatigue at points, with weak points. He battled with temptation. Romans chapter, chapter 7, he talks about the, the, the sin that he doesn't want to do. And he ends up doing. And so he battles with his own temptation and even sin. But the reason he told people, follow me as I follow Christ, is because he was intent on following the ultimate example of Jesus. His reference point spiritually was Jesus. He kept referencing back to him. Whenever Paul got off track on his li- in his life, which he did because he's, a perfect, he's, not, he's not a perfect person, Jesus kept his life on track and grounded. And so he was able to say, look, follow my example. And in the first century, this would have been critical because this was before people had personal copies of the Bible to carry around. You know, we have our ability to have a Bible, to read and study the Bible, to learn and, you know, listen. And you can even take it with you. You can get really small versions, put it in your pocket, little pocket Bibles, or you can install it on your phone and you can just keep it with you. They didn't have that in the first century. They, they relied on oral oral teaching of the Scripture, and, and they could go to the temple and hear the Old Testament. The New Testament was still being written, you know. I mean, this is... And so those first century Christians, the living examples were what they had. They had living examples of people like Paul, the apostles, and others who were setting a powerful example. We actually need the same thing. We need living examples that we would learn from and that we'd call to our mind, that we'd remember their way of life. Hebrews 13.7, again, it tells us, consider the outcome of their way of life, then imitate their faith. This is telling us, look beyond the here and now. Don't get into comparison. Comparison, again, we focus on what we see in the present, but we don't know how they got there. We don't know where it's going to end up. And so this is saying, look, there's points when you look forward and you're, you're trying to see where is this way of life going to lead this person? Where is this taking them? You look, we're, we're told, look for outcomes. I remember in my, in my early 20s, I was fresh out of college, I'd just gotten married, and I knew I needed ministry training. And so my wife and I, we found a group of mentors that we really wanted to learn from. And they were 20 to 30 years older than us. And now they're in their almost 60s and some even close to 70. And, and I saw back then some outcomes, some. I would say some outcomes even then because they were in their mid-40s at that point and um, early 50s. I could see some outcomes. But now, like 15 years later, now I can see some major outcomes. I can see the outcome of their way of life and their faith. I can see the end of some things. Now, they're still living, but I couldn't be more grateful for them because 
just their life, as I look ahead, that their lives and their examples help me stay on track when I'm wrestling with decisions, when I'm wrestling, what should I do with this? Or I've got to make a decision that affects me and my life. It may even infect the, the con- or affect the congregation because of my role. Like, it's really important that, that I'm getting input from people who I can say, I, I can see the outcome. Because that, that impacts us. And they keep following Christ. As they follow Christ, they can say, hey, follow my example as I follow Christ. And so we need that. If our leaders are following Christ, and there's a steadiness because verse 8 says, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so if they've referenced to him, then there's really this predictability and steadiness. Now, finding examples who actually follow Christ is so critical. When you find them, that gives you powerful and practical examples on how to raise kids, how to be married, how to solve problems and at work, how to, do, how to get along with coworkers, how to steward the resources that you have. There are so many benefits to imitating the right people, but we need to keep checking that whoever we're imitating is actually referencing back to Jesus. Otherwise, like Paul says, bad company will corrupt good character. You might have great character, but that can be spoiled, Paul is saying, depending on who you're learning from, depending on who you're imitating. So we're encouraged to imitate leaders, but then also we're encouraged to imitate heroes. We need to, we need to choose some heroes. Hebrews chapter 11, it highlights a list of, of biblical heroes or our faith heroes. And it starts by saying this in Hebrews 11, 1, in verse 2. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the writer of Hebrews, he begins to list out the heroes of our faith and why they were commended for their faith. Here's why, they, here's why they're in this chapter. Here's why we call them our faith heroes. And you should read Hebrews chapter 11 again. And, or for the first time, if you've never read it. But the people that are highlighted in that chapter were all dead when the writer of Hebrews was, was writing that. They were all dead. These were all dead heroes. And so it's important to have people who are alive, leaders who are alive, and you can begin to see some outcomes, but it's also equally important to have some people who've already died because now you can say, this person, you see the full outcome of their life. You see, we don't know the end of our story here. We don't. We're in the middle somewhere. We're all in the middle of our story. And so it's important because of heroes, since they've died, they can't damage their story any longer. None of the heroes are perfect people, but their story's ended. They finished the race. They finished well. And so pick some heroes. Here's a picture of, of one of our faith heroes. This is William Wilberforce and... I'm going to be sharing a little bit more next week about his life and really sharing about the man who influenced Wilberforce. Um, there's a movie made about him called Amazing Grace. There's a biography written. And we, my wife and I were listening to the audio book um, by Eric Metaxas. And it's, it's, it's this book here, Amazing Grace. And he was a, a man of faith, a politician who was a leader in abolishing the British slave trade, among other things. God used him to do some amazing things. He was a member of parliament. 
Um, but he's a man of real endurance. One of the things I've been learning about him is he just he pressed on. He's a hero that pressed on through difficult circumstances. He had an inflamed bowel disease uh, through the course of his life, and this was before they had the medicine to really help him. And so he just battled with this disease that plagued him, but still he, he pressed on. Actually, many of the heroes that, that I've read about in their biographies, you find out they had these um, plaguing sicknesses that they just didn't get healing from or freedom from, and he's one of those. Um, but also, as far as endurance, he had strong political opposition through most of his life because he was trying to abolish the slave trade. And for, for many years, for decades of his life as a member of parliament, that's what he set out to do. At the end of his life, everything kind of came to culmination and that, and that happened. And, but he had this tremendous endurance, and he kept the faith, and he finished his life walking with God. Some people, they get near the end, and then they peel off. He's a man that finished the race well. We need heroes. We need heroes like William Wilberforce. I'm going to share with you a little bit more about his journey and, and then the journey of John Newton, who was a pastor who helped Wilberforce um, just get get serious about walking with God. But John Newton was actually ran a slave ship. And when he came to Christ, five years after his conversion, he was still trading slaves. And then God, like, jarred him, and he, he saw how he needed to change. And um, But I'm going to share about his story next week. But we need heroes in our life we could say, wow, the, the full outcome, we could read about what that all involved. When it comes to heroes, it's easy to tell, you know, like, for example, for a kid. Little boy, it's easy to tell who their hero is because they'll dress like their hero. We have, like, a box at home full of um, hero costumes. And some of you have these things as well. you got costumes of superheroes and, and different people. Sometimes it's, you know, the policemen. Sometimes it's the firemen, sometimes it's, you know, Superman or um, Lord of the Rings or just these different characters. It's easy to tell who children's heroes, but for adults, the same is true. It's, it's kind of easy to see who our heroes are in our lives because the people we choose as heroes will likely influence the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the things that we put our energy into. Our, our heroes influence those things, don't they? And because of this impact, that's why uh, we brought this up. We have a little insert we wanted to give to you, and it's, it's just in your uh, bulletin. It says, Heroes of the Faith Biographies. And what I tried to do was list out the names of some, some faith heroes who none of these um, lived recently. Well, let me make sure. Actually, the last one, Louis Zamperini just died in, in this year. And his story, there's this movie out, Unbroken, right now on his life. But look at this list and maybe consider reading a biography or listening to a biography or watching a movie or a movie about one of these characters. But pick something that we put in the description here of who they are. Pick something that interests you. Think about your life and... and Read through what they dealt with or who they were, and wow, that really is who I am, and that's where I'm, where I'm standing in my life. Um, this is a time of year to start setting goals, and I want to encourage you to 
Choose some people who are going to draw your life in the right direction. What a difference it would make if we did that. If we didn't see each other as competitors, but instead um, partners and teammates. We didn't relate to neighbors as competitors, coworkers as competitors. But if we moved into the next year with the right living examples, if we remembered our leaders, those living examples, and then also if we chose some heroes who are no longer here, some dead people who we can say, wow, they lived well, they finished well. If we do that, what that does is it sets the tone for for a really good 2015 and on, if we'll keep doing that. Um, Comparison, the opposite of this is a ticking time bomb, and and you don't want that. So I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and, and also invite the ushers to prepare to receive the offering this morning. And if you would take out that connection card and wrap up filling that out, um, that card, if you wouldn't mind dropping the connection card in the baskets, in the offering baskets as the offering comes around. And then on the back of the connection card, there's a few next steps I want to draw your attention to. The first one is this, is to evaluate the people I'm currently imitating. And this is just to take a look at the people that you're comparing your life to, the people that you're running with, the people you're imitating, and, and begin to think about what this passage says. What is the outcome of their way of living? What can I see right now as far as outcomes? And uh, measure that up and, and take that to the Lord in prayer. Secondly, choose a biography to read alone or maybe commit to read with a friend this year. I did this with one of my friends a couple of years ago with the book um, Dawes on here about the life of Dawson Trotman. And a few of us guys, we did this and, and we would um, we would read some chapters and then we would hike up Mount Rubido and we'd talk about uh, what we learned, and it was just a, it was a great way to just discuss and to grow together. And so I would encourage you do something like that this this year. There's a list, a handful of these on here, and so um, pick something and 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 begin to imitate heroes. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for drawing our attention to um, what gives life. Thank you for steering us away from what would take life and what would destroy and and cause us to just be um, shriveling up in our lives. Lord, help us, Lord, to find life in you. For those that are here that are searching for you, I pray that they would have a real encounter with you through your son, Jesus, and that you would breathe new life into them as as they yield their lives to, to him as Lord. For those here that already know you and are walking with you. Lord, help us to evaluate this area of comparison and imitation and just thinking through how to pay closer attention to the right people who will draw us forward, both living and heroes that have died. I ask you for the strength, Lord, as we press on into this next year. Lord, we need it. Many of us are carrying very, very difficult things. So, Lord, help us, God. Strengthen us. Help us to, to hand those things over that are just too heavy for us to carry on our own. Help us to turn those over to you each day and, and ask you to provide strength that would help us to press on, Lord. Deepen our roots, Lord, this year. Pray for the offering we're about to receive, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.